0: I want to encourage you to cry out to God. Even today, cry out to Him, Lord. I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to merit favor in my own strength and I can't do it. I can't go on. The law has done its work in me. It's cast me down to the ground, caused me to feel like a failure, but now I'm crying to you and you can heal me. You can justify me, make me right before God. The Lord is a God of justice and wrath, but he also is full of mercy and grace that has spared his followers from destruction. In this sermon, Gary Wilkerson examines the history behind David's psalm, but also this man of God's heart as it is expressed through the ancient lines. As believers, we can all find a guide for falling on the Lord's mercy when we have stumbled then repented. Welcome back to our series on the book of Psalms. We will be looking at Psalm chapter 30 today. So glad that you're able to join us. Turn in your scriptures to the book of Psalms, the 30th chapter. The title of my message today is I See a Substitute. If you feel you are responsible for your own walk with God, that it's up to you, that the burden lies on you, that it is your yoke and your burden today is an opportunity for you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. If you feel you're responsible for your own righteousness, your own holiness, today is an opportunity to see that God has a substitute for you, one that is better, the righteous branch. If you feel burdened and weighted down, trials and tribulations cause you to be anxious and stressful, and uh, sin crouches at the door and causes you to not only be caught by it, alarmed by it, but also then... um, living in guilt and condemnation and shame. We want to talk to you today about substitutionary atonement, what Jesus has done in your place, taking our sins from us and placing his righteousness on us. Psalm chapter 30. Let me read it, and then we'll pray. We'll get right into the message. The introduction of Psalm 30 is a psalm of David, a song of dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, For you have drawn me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored to me life among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved." But your favor, O Lord, you made—by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will I tell of your faith? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, And be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Charles Spurgeon, Adam Clark, many of the well-known historians and commentary writers tell us that this was written at the time when David was singing a song almost in a prophetic way about the temple What's strange about this introduction, a song of dedication to the temple, is it wasn't actually David that built the temple. It was his son, Solomon. David prepared everything. David got everything ready. As we'll see, David even purchased the land upon which the temple was to be built. But the song of dedication is is a song that David was foreseeing. This song will be sung. And David could sing it in faith, knowing things were about to happen. Having not yet seen it, he could see it in through the eyes of faith. Many times we need that for our own life. We need to see things through the lens of faith. We there, There's areas yet of consecration in our life that we need to see in faith that God and God alone can do. There are areas of our, of our walk with God that we want to see grow, and we need to trust God. There are things in our life that we do not yet see, like Hebrews chapter 11. We don't always see the fullness of it, but we're looking for a city. We're looking for something beyond what we can see in our own through our own human eyes. David is also said to have written this psalm, again, according to these scholars that I've just mentioned to you, at a time in his own life where there was great trouble and stress. It's found in 1 Chron- uh, in Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. I invite you to turn there with me, if, if you will. First Chronicles chapter 21. And, and we see here, this is the time where David... If you read the first few verses of of chapter 21, you'll see that David was doing something that was in disobedience to God. He was told not to number the people, don't take a census of the people, and yet it's the exact thing that he's doing. Even Joab, who was not necessarily a a very righteous man, he could be very violent, very disobedient to God and to to the king as well. Uh, After David numbers them, Joab's saying, don't do this, Uh, and even when he does, Joab in obedience does it, but in verse 6 he says, uh, but but Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. So this was no small thing. It wasn't like he was just, uh, I kind of want to get some statistics here. It was uh, um, most likely a sense of pride and arrogance. what What's the size of my army? Because Joab goes on to number the amount of people in David's army. Uh, maybe it maybe it would show how many taxes were being. Uh, Acquired and uh, the the coffers, the treasury, was increasing. And and the Lord is displeased with David, and he's going to bring judgment on it. Verse 12, the the end of verse 11, the Lord says to David, choose what you will, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord pestilence in the land, the angel of the Lord destroying throughout the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer shall you return to me. And then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into the hands of man. So David, knowing that God was merciful, said, I'd rather have three days of the wrath of God than to be put into the hands of man, whether it be three years of famine and devastation or, or the sword taking over for three months. I, I'll I'll choose the, the to trust even in the mercy of God, even when there's judgment. He, he understood the biblical reality that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so this is the context that, that, again, Spurgeon and others said that David was writing Psalm chapter 30, and he knew he was a sinner. He knew he had failed the Lord. He knew he had brought judgment on him, his house, and the people of, of Israel. And yet he knows there's something else here. In verse 18, we see this, then David said to Gadda, uh, sorry, I just read that. Uh, but later on, he he says here, It is enough. Stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So so, God looks upon this angel that's for three days bringing destruction to Israel, and he says, Stay your hand. It's enough. This is always a picture of God and his mercy. We we see that God is a God of justice, that God is a God even of wrath. But we see in his kindness, he doesn't bring the fullness of destruction and penalty that that is deserved by mankind that is deserved by you and I we live in such a culture today that it seems to be we see ourselves as good we see ourselves as pure and, as, and cleansed and, and 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 fairly righteous and we just need a little bit of a self improvement plan and and Jesus could come to our aid and help just pick us up a little bit more we're already doing well but we just need that extra level and we add Jesus to the elements of our moral righteousness we add Jesus to our self help programs and that's not Christ at all. We need Him, and and He's because He's the God who will judge us for our sin. We are much greater sinners than we even realize ourselves. And the law of God is meant to show us that. It's meant to show us our sinfulness. It's it's a tutor to show us we can't in our own strength. We we can't commit. We can't uh, promise. We can't. Uh, make our own covenant where we say we're going to do better try harder we will fail in our own strength the law makes that a reality but it's grace it's this grace that david is relying on here he's relying on the fact that god is merciful and when he can't stay pure himself he's going to trust god for his repentance he's going to trust god for his holiness and his righteousness his justification and his sanctification as well Let me go on with the story because I think it's it's very vital for us to understand what God is doing in his mercy. Um, He sends David to go build an altar to the Lord. This is in verse 18 of the 21st chapter. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad and said to David that David should go up and raise up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And he goes to Ornan and says, I want to buy some land to build a place of sacrifice to the Lord. We have sinned against the Lord, and the Lord requires... um, a, a, a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. The, the, without blood, there's no atoner for sin. And and so so David is saying, uh, God is, is speaking to me. And he goes to Ornan, and it's interesting what Ornan uh, says to him. He, he doesn't want to sell it to him. Verse 23, take it, let the Lord, the king, do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen and the burnt offerings and the threshing floor and the sledges, Uh, for the wood and the wheat and the grain offering. I give it all. This is the mentality of us when we come to the things of God. Here's what I'll do for you, God. Here's how I'll take care of you. Here's how I'll I'll offer to you something of me so that, that I look good, that I look right, that I look righteous. And David has God's heart here. He says, I will not uh, take what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings of a thing that costs me nothing. I believe David is speaking prophetically of the heart of Jesus, that that we can't give God our holiness, our righteousness, our good behavior, our moral uprightness, and expect that to, to weigh the scales in our favor. We have to trust another source, that we have to see another substitute in our place. The, in, in this place, it's David beginning to offer sacrifices to the Lord for his sin. And, and it, but it's a foretaste, it's a foreknowledge, it's a foreseeing of the things to come that Jesus would be that <clears throat> sacrifice. And because of this, he burnt offerings and the Lord saw it and answered from fire from heaven, accepted uh, on the altar of the burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded his angel and he said, put the sword back into its sheath. When we live in, under the law, and the law is basically what Ornan's saying here. I give it all. I, I I sacrifice it all. I'm committing my all. I'm a radical disciple. I can be holy. I can do it myself. No, the law pounds us down and will prove to us time and time again we are not sufficient in ourselves. We need another source, uh, not only of justification but of righteousness and sanctification. And 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 there there has to be this shift from I give it all, to letting Jesus say, no, I pay the cost. I, I, Jesus pays it all. He makes us righteous. He makes us holy. It's not you pulling up your own bootstraps by the fleshly carnal energy. It's the energy of the Holy Spirit that you depend on. And, and until you start depending on the Lord, and sadly, you're going to be under the law, that this, this crushing, demanding, do this and you'll live. But it also proves that you can't do it. And so once we begin to say, this is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's work. It's his sacrifice. He's our substitute. He's our righteousness. Once we say that, then the wrath of God is appeased. And we we, we we hear this phrase ringing in our own ears, and he put the sword back into his sheath. He puts the wrath away. You're no longer under the wrath of God. You're no longer under, under the penalty of sin, The the pronouncement of death upon you, the pronouncement of guilt because of your lack of law abiding is no longer under, now you're under the Blood of Jesus Christ, His righteousness, He has paid it all. The land upon the, the history here is f- phenomenal and it's exciting. It, it'll it'll bring a song of joy. It'll it'll bring more meaning. Also, as we go back to Psalm thirty in just a moment, but the the the, the place where David bought this land from Ornan historically has some significance in Genesis chapter twenty two, verse one through fourteen we see that this is the very place, Mount Horeb, where Abram is told by God to take his son Isaac and take him up to the top of the mountain and there sacrifice his own son. And, and Isaac take, take, takes the, the, the sacrifice of Isaac and puts him on the altar. And he has the wood in one hand and the fire in one hand and the knife in his hand. And he's about to offer his own son. And and, and it says, and he, took, and, he, and he took it in his hand. He took these things in his own hand. In other words, uh, I, I'm going to take my strength. I'm going to take my my offering. I'm going to take my ability. I'm going to take my own sacrifice, and I'm going to give it to God, and that will tip the scales, and God will now accept me. He'll, I'll be able to prove to him my own righteousness, but it's never enough. You could never offer enough. Your sin has so far separated you from God. The weight of it is, is too drastic for any measure in your own strength. Your, your your own self-righteousness, your own confidence in the flesh could never tip the scales of the weight of of the wrath of God against us because of our rebellion towards him. And David, in the fields of Ornan, in the threshing floor of Ornan, see, sees the same thing happen. Ornan's saying, I, I will give it all, but, but it's actually God saying, it's going to be my sacrifice. And here in Genesis chapter 22, we see the same thing. Abram saying, I'll, I, I'll take this into my own hands, but in verse 14 of chapter 22, it says, and on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided for you. This is where we get the, the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, our God shall provide. He'll provide another situation. He'll provide another sacrifice. He'll provide a substitute for you. And we know in the story of Abram and Isaac that Abram turns, the angel speaks to him, says, turn, looks, and there was a ram. Caught in the thicket in the bushes, and God says to him, Take that ram. And it's a picture of the Lamb of God. Take that. What you have in your own hand is not sufficient, but what God has in His hand, His Son, is totally sufficient, the only sufficient, the all sufficient merit. We could not give a million sacrifices and merit reconciliation with God, but through one sacrifice, His own Son, Christ Jesus, the meritous Son, the work of the merit of the Son of Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life and yet laid his life down for our sin, merits now the favor of God, merits the sword being sheathed again, the wrath of God being appeased. And how sad it is in the generation we live where there are so many people in what's called the progressive theological part of the church that are saying God could never be angry at his son. God could never be angry at us. God is not a God of anger. He's a God only of love. Well, they are diminishing the fullness of the attributes of God. And yes, God is absolutely, that's the very core of his nature is love. But when you see the breadth of his attributes, he's also a God of justice. He could not be fully a God of love unless he was a God of justice. If, if he didn't hate sin, if he didn't hate murder, if he didn't hate uh, lust, if he didn't hate child abuse, if he didn't hate abortion, then he would not truly be loving. And so part of his heart of love is, is his anger against these things, and, his, and the wrath of God is poured out. But we see here in these two stories, one in First Chronicles 21 and one in Genesis 22, we see here that God takes what we think is in our hand an offering, acceptable, satisfactory, meritus, and he says it's insufficient. Lay it down and, and, and pick up instead the work that I do for you, the, 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 the sacrifice and the threshing floor, the ram caught in the thicket. And, and, and David then and there's 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 another part in this where, where David wants to build the temple. Again, Psalm 30 is the song of dedication to the temple. Where David wants to build the temple is found in second Samuel second Samuel uh, chapter 7. I'd love for you to to turn there. Second Samuel chapter 7. and we see here, it says the king, verse one, lived in a house, and the Lord had given him rest to all his enemies. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go and do all do that all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the same night Nathan has a dream, comes back to David and says, No, your hands are bloody, you can't build. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. It was his heart, I want to build something for you. I want to show you something. I want to show you something on my merit. And, and the Lord turns back to him and says in, in verse 11, the second part, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make for you a house. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up an offspring after you. And this is speaking of Jesus, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will be a father to him. Now, strangely enough, here says, and it seems to shift here, or maybe he's speaking about Solomon. And uh, it says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. But, but it's also talking about, the, the, the even though Jesus was perfectly spotless and sinless, when he took our sin, he became sin for us. And so when, when the sins of the world are laid upon Jesus, Jesus is disciplined. And it says, with the stripes of the Son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Oh, this is so profound. David says, I want to do something for you. And Jesus, God says, my son, Christ Jesus, is going to be, build a house for you. That house is going to be a, a place to dwell with God forever, not a house built with the hands of man. God doesn't dwell in, in, a, in a temporal, materialistic uh, building, but he dwells in the hearts of man, and he's built this by the stripes, paying the penalty for us. Again, here's the merit uh, that God is doing All three of these illustrations have the exact, all three of these same passages of Scripture have the exact same mentality behind it. Man wanting to offer his good works. And Jesus saying it's insufficient. And in his place, giving another substitute, a sacrifice in our place. How precious, how wonderful. And after David purchases this land, he can't build it himself, but he prepares all of the property, all of the resources, all of the building materials all of the tools necessary, all of the resources necessary, and even all the people to build it, and all the people that be ready to uh, minister in the temple. He pre- prepares all these things. But then his son is the one who actually builds the temple. And, and and he builds it in the same place, Mount Oreb, the same place, the threshing floor of Ornan, the same place where Abram sac- almost sacrificed his son and found the ram in his place. All of these places were, are the exact same place, History tells us, the commentaries tell us. And most scholars suggest there's one other place on Mount Horeb that was where this substitute was found. Just like Abram said, I, I see a ram caught in the thicket. Just 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 like all these things, these substitutes, there's one other place in Mount Horeb that it was where the temple was built. And 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 it is a place that we now recognize as Galgatha, the place of the skull where not a ram, not a sacrifice of David on an altar, not not any of these things, but Jesus Christ Himself, coming up to the mount, or coming up to the place of the skull, the hill called Golgotha, and on that place becoming the ultimate sacrifice. So great, so rich was the sacrifice that it actually ended all animal sacrifice in 80 70 the temple was destroyed jesus predicted this within this generation not a stone would be left and there would be no more animal sacrifice only left the only the only blood left is jesus ending the the bloody sacrifices and saying no it is sufficient it is done when he would stretch out his hands on the cross and bled from head to toe the blood was sufficient the sacrifice was sufficient the the substitute took place in theological terms this is what's called the substitutionary atonement that 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 we could not never offer enough ourselves so he became our substitute he took our sin on himself he became sin who knew no sin and then he became into us imputing his righteousness into us you see emptying us of sin is not sufficient to get us in right relationship with God. All that does is negate the negative, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and it's impossible to relate to God without that, but it's only one of a twofold work that Jesus has done on our behalf. You see, it's not just the absence of sin that makes us right with God, but it's the righteousness. We have to stand perfectly righteous, complete, holy, uh, all the obligations of the law fulfilled in our life. We have to have that to enter into heaven, to enter into relationship with God. And Jesus not only offers us the substitute of the forgiveness of sins but the substitute of righteousness we're not righteous in ourselves and he substitutes us for himself and we stand before God now having the the substitutionary atonement working in us over the forgiveness of sin but also the imputation of righteousness, so that you and I stand righteous before God, clean, holy, pure, spotless. We don't stand before God with guilt and shame. We don't stand before Him, you know, cowered over and saying we're worthless wretches. We stand before Him only by mercy. Yes, in ourselves we are worthless, but in Christ now we are the righteousness of God. We, we stand complete. The merit of Christ now lives in us, and we stand before Him holding on to Christ's merit, holding on to that hem of the garment, saying, this is what takes me to the place of acceptance with God. There's a lot to cover, and it really doesn't seem like it has a lot to do with Psalm 30. And you might be saying, Gary, Aren't we studying Psalm 30? Yes, we are. But now, look at the context he's writing this. He's understanding now that there's a substitute for him. He's writing these these things at the, t- at the temple. And you know what's interesting? He's not glorifying the temple. He's not saying, look at the stones we've put together. Look at this land we've acquired. Look at the workers we have. Look at the choirs that we have uh, amassed for this great temple that's about to be built by my son Solomon. No he starts off this dedication after knowing that he had just taken the census and caused destruction to come to Israel and caused God to wrath to be poured out on the nation and, and, and he comes to God with this cry in his heart but the first thing he says is not i'll build you a temple and, and i'll prove to you that i'm worth the merit of your favor no he says i extol you this word extol is is to it literally means to build up to, to draw you up to 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 take you in my mind's eye and in my understanding, in my meditation, to to honor you as the most high, exalted over all things, God of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And he says, I will. It's, it's, a, it's a covenant he's making with his own heart. I will. I, I won't grovel in my fallenness and my sin. I'll, I'll turn my eyes, as Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You didn't start your faith. You can't finish your faith. You didn't... Uh, Introduce your faith, and you can't perfect your faith. It's found in Christ Jesus, and David has a hint of that here. I will, I will look to, to 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 God. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. Interesting. He's saying I will exalt or extol, which means to to lift up, before because you've lifted me up. You, and, and it's not a uh, it's not a pride here. It's not a sense of saying, uh, now that I'm exalted, I'll exalt you as the equal. No he 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 he's saying you've lifted me to a place where i can see you now like i've never seen you before you've shown me the substitute you've shown me the, the 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 threshing floor of ornan you've shown me that that the, the the wrath can be satisfied by by the work of god rather than my own work and and therefore you've drawn me up to a new place and i can see you through a new lens i can worship you the people who worship god with the most vigor and vitality i believe with all my heart are the people who truly understand. They've been drawn up. They've been drawn out of the miry clay, not just of their own wretched unrighteousness, but of their own wretched self-righteousness. They're, these are the two patterns of sin we fall into. Our unrighteousness is, is our drunkenness, our our lust, our carnality, our our, our anger, our greed, our pride. And that's, that's a horrid sin that we need cleansed. But there's a second type of sin that can be more deeply rooted in our heart more 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 destructive because of its sneakiness and this is the 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 not unrighteousness so much but as it is a self-righteousness and and uh we need to be drawn up out of these things and it's the people that understand that I've been f- freed and forgiven of all my unrighteousness but he's also freed me from my confidence in the flesh my own self-righteousness. He set me free from that. He's drawn me up out of the pit of those things. And now I can worship him because he alone did this. I, mean, I could not draw myself up from uh, self the pit of self-righteousness or the pit of unrighteousness. He had to do this for me. And therefore, as a result, the end of verse 1 says, let not my foes rejoice over me. They, they, they can't go over me. You've lifted me up to, to a place that, that my enemies could no longer go over me. When I was When I was wallowing in unrighteousness and self-righteousness, it it, it didn't take much for them to get over me because I was so low. But now that you've lifted me up, and my heart is even lifted higher to a place of exaltation of Christ, therefore my enemies, they can't rejoice over me because I'm not concerned about them anymore. They don't triumph over me because I don't fret. I don't have anxiety in my heart of what they think, what they say, what they do. I'm, I'm living in a new level now. I'm living in new heights. I'm living in a new high ground of worship and exaltation of Christ, verse two. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. This is the cry of David again, and uh, that we read in First Chronicles 21. He's he's crying out, God, I, I I'm going to trust you, even those three days of your wrath, three three days, maybe even a sense of a of a foreshadowing of the three days of the wrath of God, of Jesus on the cross, and, and then the the healing comes. The, the by his stripes we are healed, and we see David saying that. This substitute is the one who's healed me. You can be healed today, physically, emotionally, relationally with God. You can be healed from the flesh, the confidence in the flesh, trying in in your own strength to say, I'll do something to merit God's favor. I'll keep trying really hard, and he'll eventually be pleased with me. All of that is part of this self-righteousness. And, and, and we need to be healed of those things. I want to encourage you to cry out to God. Even today, cry out to him, Lord, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to merit favor in my own strength, and I can't do it. I can't go on. The law has done its work in me. It's cast me down to the ground, caused me to feel like a failure. But now I'm crying to you, and you can heal me. You can justify me, make me right before God by the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, your work and your work alone. And in his place, you can then call me to be sanctified, come up as a healed, holy, righteous man or woman of God. Verse 3, O oh Lord, you have brought me up from Sheol, my soul from Sheol, from, from the pit of hell, and you restored to me life. This is what I'm talking about, unrighteousness and self-righteousness, that, that this dual nature is, he brought us up forgiving our sin. But then he restored life to us, the life of righteousness. The life of Christ lives in you. It is, it is the substitute, Jesus, as, is, is, is taking out your self-righteousness and putting his righteousness in, in, in its place. Sing praises. Here's the result of this substitutionary atonement. Here's the result of the work of Christ in our life. We begin to sing praises to the Lord. It, goes, it echoes back to verse 1, the extolling of God. You, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. I find it incredibly encouraging here that at the song at the dedication of his temple, he's really not singing about the temple as much as he's singing about the work of God in his life. That he's singing praises and giving thanks to the holiness of God. That God didn't lower his standard in order to be reconciled to man, but he lifted up man to a place he could not do in his own strength. He lifted up man to have the righteousness of Christ, therefore causing us to be once again in right relationship. <clears throat> for his anger, David is remembering the anger of God, the three days of wrath upon Israel. For his anger is but for his moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. He saw the promise of, of, of <clears throat> what, he, what we read in Second Samuel, that, he, that there was going to be a house built for him and all his children, all generations, including you and I, that God has built a house, a dwelling place to be intimate with him, to be reconciled to him, to be in right relationship with him. And, and as we look back at our past and living under the law and looking, living under condemnation and guilt and shame and under unrighteousness and in self-righteousness, when we look back on that, we say weeping may tarry for the night, but hallelujah, joy comes in the morning. Joy comes when there is this exchange life. Joy comes when we are forgiven of our unrighteousness and we are no longer living under the law in our own self-righteousness. That's the only place joy comes from. There's no joy in self-effort. There's no joy in human striving to be right with God, to be acceptable to Him, to find favor with Him, to f- to try to fix our own errors, to try to make up for our past sins so that we could be right with God or that we could... You know, or sometimes we think, well, he saved me, uh, but now since he saved me, I've failed again. So you know, the salvation part's already done, but I have to do something to make up for that sin. And it's all that craziness of the promises we make to never do it again, or I'll read my Bible more, or I'll pray more, or I'll give more, or I'll tithe more, or I'll fast more. It's almost like we're trying to make up for our sin, and you can't do that. The sacrifice has been paid. When you try to make up for your own sin, what you're basically saying is the work of Jesus Christ is insufficient. It didn't finish the task. He may have said it is finished, but I have to finish it now by trying to pick myself up and work out these things, these errors of my own life, and rectify them by merit of my own, building myself up. And that never brings joy. It, it always—and this is where you see Christians who are living in guilt— shame, always feeling defeated, always feeling like miserable wretches and sinners who are no good and unacceptable to God and can't be in right standing with God. Of course you can't be in right standing with God when you're trying to merit your own goodness and righteousness. It's the idea of saying, I don't merit it, that causes the absolute surrender to God and say, my only merit is found in you, Christ, and there the, the weeping ends. It's there for a night. There's that weeping over our inability. Uh, but joy comes in the morning when we realize there's a substitute. There's been an exchange in my life. In verse 6, he says, And as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. He's, he's remembering here now, he's thinking he could do it on his own strength. When, when everything's going well, self reliance is, 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 is knocking at the door and, and entering into our heart and into our mind, saying, You can do it. You got this now. You, you finally made it. You've, you've ascended to the hill, and, and self-confidence becomes our, our song. Uh, and, and, and it says, I shall—listen to this word—I shall never be moved. And, and that's the pride and arrogance of self-righteousness. I, I can try so hard. I can work so much that I'll never be moved again. I'll never be shaken from my high place of prosperity, this mountain. By your favor, it says in verse 7, O Lord, you made my mountain stand firm. So we see here, almost every commentary I read says the same thing. It surprised me because it sounded to me like he was saying, "This is a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm I see my prosperity. I'm not going to be moved and your favor. Made my mountain stand." But all the commentaries seem to suggest the same thing, particularly because of the end of verse seven. It says, "You hid." As a result of what he's just said, David has just said he's prospering. He's not going to ever be moved, and his mountain is standing strong. And then the response that God has to that is his hiding of his face. And David says, I was dismayed. When we are trying in our own self-righteousness or the confidence of the flesh, there will be the hiding of the face. What's left is living under the law. Do this and you shall live. Completely fulfill all the commands of the law and you'll be acceptable. And we see ourselves failing. And, and there's this, where's the Lord in all this? He's, it seems hidden. You see, the, lo- the Lord will not reveal himself through the law, in fullness. We, he reveals his moral law, he reveals his character and his nature. He does that even through creation, Romans 1 tells us. But the 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 sense of the hiding of the face or the reverse of that is the the seeing of the face, the nearness of the presence of God doesn't come when you're trying to keep the law and that's what causes us to be in dismay. I was dismayed and that's all the law will do it'll dismay you. But grace comes in the substitute comes in the sacrifice comes comes in and says, this is what opens up the face of God to you, that the veil will be rent. It was torn into, and now you have the openness into the most holy of holies, not just the external court, but the holy of holies. And this, the sense of dismay, the sense of striving, the pressure we're under to try to earn God's favor and the pressure to to live the law and be righteous in our own strength, it does nothing but dismay us and causes the sense of the hiding of God's face. And verse 8 is the remedy. To you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. Lord, restore the reality of what causes me to be in right relationship with you. It's the mercy of God. Because if not, verse 9 says, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. You see, David is left with his last cry, his only true cry, his only plead for hope is a plea for mercy. It's a plea for the substitute lord just like the 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 offering in the in the fields of Ornan just like in the threshing floors of Ornan just like the 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 ram that was caught in the thicket in the place of Isaac just like Solomon in this temple that where the offerings were brought to for the forgiveness of the sins and just like Golgotha, the hill on which you cried out it is finished upon this is where we can see this verse 11 becoming a reality. The mercy has now been poured out upon us. The wrath has been stayed. And verse 11 leaves us with this great joy. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. It's not just the mourning is gone. It's not just grieving is gone. It's not just self-effort of law-keeping that causes me to be dismayed and the hidden face of God upon me. It's not just that's now that that there's an absence of that morning, but there's a the presence of dancing. There's a, there's a new song in your heart. There's, there, there's, there's this sense of freedom. There's this sense of delight. There's this sense of overwhelming, uh, thrilling victory that floods your soul. I'm not just no longer crying and mourning and striving in human effort. Now I'm, uh, I'm dancing. Why? Because you've, you've loosed my sackcloth. You've taken the sackcloth off. What is that sackcloth? It's that human effort we're talking about. It's, it's that grieving in your own strength. It's, it's the, that sense of, of uh, 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 I, I'm going to merit this by my own grief. And he says, take that off and, and let me clothe you with gladness. That's the substitute. The, the gladness is not your human effort. The gladness is the work of Jesus Christ that he's finished for you and I. And verse 12 concludes this glorious song of praise to the Lord when David had sinned grievously and the Lord cleansed him and forgave him and gave him a substitute and promised that he'd build him a house and a substitute for you and I. And verse 12 concludes this glorious song by saying that my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. I'll sing your praises. amen. I'm going to sing it day and night and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This may sound like a throwaway word at the end of I'll give thanks to you forever, but I think it's something important. David is acknowledging that I can't shift from this focus of substitutionary atonement. I can't, and I, yes, I certainly understand David didn't know this terminology, or and he didn't understand it in fullness. But 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 David did see a day coming, and 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 it's recorded in Acts chapter two and other places where David clearly saw that God was going to send a son who would do all these things we're talking about today. And David concludes this thing by saying, let let a seal be placed upon this. Let a a door be closed upon all of this human effort, all this merit of my own strength, all of this self-righteousness. Let all of that be closed. And and, and my own sacrifice, I'll give to you. I'll lay this down for you. I close that door. I seal it now. And I say, my praise is is a praise to you. It's to you, Jesus, for what you've done for me, not what I've done for myself, not for my human effort, not for my works of righteousness that I should boast, not, not my filthy rags of self-righteousness that I bring before you, but it's, it's you. And, and I love the word David closes this song with. It's forever. There's, there's, there's no, no changing from this. There, there, I can't shift from this. I have to keep this song in my heart. Keep off those, those, those filthy rags. Keep off those, those, those old garments and Lord, clothe me with righteousness. Clothe me with a song. Take, take out the mourning that, that is, is there and, and bring a new song in my heart. Jesus wants to do that for you. And let me pray for you right now that this would be more than words to you. It's one thing to hear these words and to know, oh, there's some interesting truths that have just been said. But it's another to ask the Lord to appropriate them to your own heart. That the Holy Spirit actually takes words and implants them in our mind and our heart and makes them alive to us. It's it's beyond my comprehension, but it's it's part of this substitutionary work we're talking about, substituting human wisdom, human ability, knowledge, uh, our own crafty insights. He's taking all that away and placing now a a substitute, a, a Holy Spirit discerning of these things, a Holy Spirit implanting of these things in our heart. And so I pray now for my brothers and sisters who have listened to these words, and I ask you to make them alive now. Make them more than words. Make them realities that, that these who are listening to your word, Lord, how, how will they know unless they hear the word, and how will they hear the word unless there's a preacher, and how will they preach unless they're sent? You've sent me today. And, and Lord, they're not going to know these things by human understanding or revelation. It has to be the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Help them not just to know it, God. But to sense today, there's been a substitute take place. You've taken off their filthy garments and placed your wretchedness into them and upon them. You have caused them to lay down their hands, the wood and the fire that's in their hands, the the price for the land that and wants, wants to give to David, the the, the, the all of these the, the sacrifices placed on the altar of Solomon's temple day after day, week after week, year after year, and, and it was insufficient to totally cleanse the people and their consciousness. And then on Golgotha, Gil- that great hill, Lord, you, 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 you gave the ultimate, final, perfect sacrifice. You said it was once and for all. You said it was eternal. And all we have to do is have faith to receive it now. And we receive that finished work, saying now that I am cleansed of all unrighteousness, my filthy rags of self-righteousness are totally unnecessary now. I don't have to keep striving in works. And now, because you have justified me, you've empowered me. We now, we, we, Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us now power to do good works. But these works are no longer filthy rags. They're works of righteousness that have been prepared, the Bible says, for us beforehand. Even before we were born, you prepared good works that we should walk in them. And these are good works that are not filthy rags of self-righteousness. These are good works that, that are of, of, of pure in spirit, pure in heart, pure in motive, because they're coming out of the finished work of Jesus. They're not coming into us striving to get to the finished work and hoping that Jesus would do it for us, but it's trusting that it is done. And now we, we live in that place of rest, confidence in the Lord, and all these things flow now out of us. And we thank you. Thank you for imputing righteousness to my friends who are listening to me today. Not because I preached about, it, but your power of the Holy Spirit makes this word enlivened to us and it accomplished the purpose for which it is sent forth. Be accomplished now. Receive this now in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus, in the merit of Jesus, in the righteousness of Jesus being placed upon you. Your sacrifices are laid down, no longer trying in your own strength, but you're trusting completely in Jesus. We give thanks for this. Lord, this is putting a song in our heart and a dance in our step and a joy in our day and the delight in all that we think and all we do. We become changed persons because of this message of the cross. We give thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you again in the next episode.